he's like what's his name from Apocalypse Now. Marlon Brando? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Okay. In that they show up in the third act of the movie, sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Apocalypse Now? No. Nope. Okay. Great Thank comparison. you for that contribution. <laughs> You're addicted to so, shit. Sounds like a Lars von Trier movie. That's the title of his new film. Addicted, <laughs> addicted to, to shit. shit. <laughs> but it's going to be like in German, so it's going to sound more classy. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new drama film from Martin Scorsese called Silence, starring Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 98 of Film Tank. Whoa. 98 degrees. Wow. I I was alive during that era. So, Were you? Yeah, well, I at least was even like... I think it was like a teenager or like nine or ten. Yeah, I was alive in the year ninety-eight. Yeah. No, no, no ninety-eight degrees. The the group. I I, no I was alive during that era. Mm-hmm. I had their album. Mm-hmm. Did you really? Oh yeah. Wow. I wasn't aware. On of tape. No, it was a CD. Okay. What was their their hit? Their single. I don't know. I'm gonna look it up because okay. I like that song a lot. Good. I'm I, glad I, I was able to to reunite you with 98 degrees me too anyways this is episode 98 and today we are talking about the film silence and by we i mean myself nick cheney and tucson egan silencio sure that was great that was inspired so uh the film silence uh directed by martin scorsese and starring andrew garfield adam driver and to a lesser extent, Liam Neeson centers around two priests who travel to Japan in an attempt to locate their mentor and propagate Catholicism. Man, that could easily have just been like a like a really fun like two buddies like going on a sojourn in a new country and just like having a fun time. Were could there, be like a road trip movie, but like no. Were there a lot of two buddies road trip? priest to japan in the 1600s i mean it could be a fun one if you wanted to trying to dodge the shogun anyways (laughs) okay so i've narrowed it down to i do in parentheses cherish you or maybe it's the hardest thing by 98 degrees yeah it's one of those two that sounds right all right well i just wanted to make sure we all were on the same page yeah i'm glad we are me too so yes silence uh is a film it was a longtime passion project for Martin Scorsese, uh, and definitely, I would say, not necessarily in his usual wheelhouse of films no. uh, that he puts out. Although, there's some similarities here and there. It's not necessarily anything like Goodfellas or... Yeah, but you know, the more I watch a Scorsese film, the more I realize that as much as he might be most well-known for his gangster epics... Those are a smaller fraction compared to all the other movies he makes, so I'm, I'm less and less surprised by uh, what we consider the stereotypical Scorsese style. I suppose. I mean... Well, no, I am. What's that? <laughs> I was making a joke since you said I suppose, and I was just saying what I felt. Oh. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, like, if you compare this to, like, The Wolf of Wall Street, Hugo... Um, Shutter Island, Departed, Aviator, I guess, is something that you could say is not the usual suspect, although that was a fantastic the film. The Wolf of Wall Street is one of its gangster epics. It's yeah. just gangsters in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but other than that, in those sort of films, like The Departed is more of a... Gangster epic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyways. Wait, did you say gangsters in the 19... 19- 
1990s? It was like the that's 80s. For the, oh, was it late 80s? It's like yeah. late 80s, early 90s. I, yeah, well, I wouldn't I mean, it's off. like in 1860 for Gangs in New York. No, we were, we're talking about Wolf, Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street. Oh, sorry. Gangs of New York is really not <laughs> in I've the actually s- never seen that. It looks really boring. What? It is what? <laughs> it's on the same level as uh, Silence. It's not as boring. Anyways, I love Kings of New York. Anyway. I do too. Yeah. Um, that I would not consider a Scorsese gangster film, even though it obviously is a film about the gang gangs of yeah. New York. So, <laughs> um, there's truth in advertising. There you go. I am obviously, uh, I would say, the biggest Scorsese fan on this podcast. No? Yes. You think so? Hey. I, w- I would agree with that. I, yeah. Would you want to come for the king? No, you better no, no, not no, no, miss. No, no. I'm just like, that's an interesting question. I Because um, I don't think, A, we've done a Scorsese episode besides Casino on this uh, thing. Uh, which right? was Alex's choice. Yes, I, I realize that. I'm just spitballing here. I'm not accusing yeah. anyone of anything. Sure. I think, so you, I know you're a big fan of Casino and Goodfellas. Yeah. Are there other movies that you rank up there with those two? Wolf of Wall Street okay. uh, is high on my list. Love, see, the, love the Departed, love Shutter Island. talk about yeah. his gangster movies more, so I have a less opinion of those, but The King of Comedy, Taxi Driver, Mean Streets. Are, Raging Bull. Uh, well, I'm a Nick little, actually doesn't like Raging Bull. No, I'm a little underwhelmed by Raging Bull, and I want to watch it again at one point. Uh and Shutter Island are movies that I think are basically fantastic to flat out masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we don't really ever talk about those. So, yeah. I would say you're I probably mean, a bigger fan. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say <clears throat> those four movies I just well, except for Shutter Island, the other four are in my top twenty-five to top thirty of all time. Gotcha. Which I don't think you have any in your top 25? No, 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 no. No, no that so. makes sense. So, I have yeah. a question. Sure. Was Once Upon a Time in America no, no. a Sergio Leone Ooh. film or yes. was it a Okay. Thanks. <clears throat> I was going to say it wasn't a Scorsese yeah, film. That's okay. why we both said that. Yep. So anyways, I was just going to say I'll start us off yes, since please. I think I am yeah. was the most excited I about just wanted to like have that conversation and I'm oh. glad we did. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I'm glad we hashed that out. Me too. For now. We have a top six Martin Scorsese episode, which I think he's one of the few directors you probably could do. Yeah, you could do him. You could do a Woody Allen. I mean, if you've seen, but I'm trying to think. There's not Ants. a whole lot of other. What? He did not. <laughs> I know. Again. I'm just joking. God we've damn it, talked about this before. Do you, do you even want to be here today? <laughs> I do want to be here. <laughs> Step on this Hail Mary. We uh, really want to go see the M. Night Shyamalan film. Yes, after we this, do. So if you could stop And you're going to make this hard for us to stop. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Why don't you go split? Uh, oh, shit. Okay. Anyway. Mr. Filth. <laughs> that's one of his 23 personalities. <laughs> Maybe that's the twist of the movie is that he's all of his personality. He's Professor X. He's Mr. Filth. He's uh, Dr. Pepper. the guy from The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> it's Jim Carrey. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> so anyways, getting back to Silence and uh, me really usually loving Martin Scorsese, uh, I was pretty underwhelmed by this film uh, first time through. Not that I thought it was bad filmmaking, because it was certainly pretty much par for the course for the usual Scorsese fare in terms of uh, the way that the film was presented, the story was told. Uh, I thought the acting here was actually pretty good, specifically from Andrew Garfield. Uh, a lot of the, you know people who I didn't know who the actors were or couldn't really connect with their characters because they were either minor or they came and went. Uh, Specifically, the guy who had the very uh, noticeable voice, uh, which I've said already that I'm going to try to not do his impression, but I'm sure it's going to come here at some point. Uh, All those people, in terms of acting, I I guess I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other because they were just kind of there in this specific role because they fit that role I think so but I thought Andrew Garfield was actually really good here as Rodriguez in the as the uh, the main character here uh, Adam Driver was just sort of there for a little bit in this film and then he was gone and then he was back for a few minutes and then he was dead so he just kind of played that 
assisting role where he just kind of falls off from the lead. Similar a little bit to Mark Ruffalo's character in Shutter Island where he's there early on and then he just kind of fades away and Leonardo takes over the entire film for the most part. Well, there's part. a reason for that. I know. There's a reason for it here, too. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then as far as like actual editing of a movie and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, no, but, but still, in terms of... You can of, still uh, cut to Adam Driver's character, technically, but they choose not to do that. Yeah, right. Uh, and then Liam Neeson, uh, who uh, for sure is hardly in this movie at all, um, even though he's on the poster and is prominently featured in the trailer. I mean, he's hardly in it if you're going off of that basis, but he's an integral character yes. who ends up like anchoring the entire third act. That's true. Yeah. But in terms of just a screen time and yeah. him actually performing the character, there's not a lot here. He's like, what's his name from Apocalypse Now? Marlon Brando? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So anyways. Um, in that they show up in the third act of the movie? <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Apocalypse Now? <laughs> no. Okay. Great Thank you for that contribution. <laughs> I'll just stop talking. So Whatever. getting away from the physical acting performances here, which I thought were really good from Andrew Garfield to fine from everybody else. Uh, the story just didn't really connect with me in terms of trying to keep with it all the way through. I thought there were highs and lows throughout the entire film, and there just wasn't enough consistency to keep me completely interested throughout. There also wasn't anything towards later in the film that made me feel differently about actions earlier in the film, so it just it just was really hard for me to stay completely engaged and love this the first time through, which is ultimately why I gave it a not great grade uh but i definitely think this is a film that upon future viewings uh could be more of a grower than a shower as uh this is definitely a lot more of a faith-based soul-searching type movie and not a lot of action or uh suspense or that kind of thing but there is a lot here uh to keep you at least interested in spurts uh but that was the problem for me is that it was more of a, a spurt film where i was like holy shit there was fucking guys are being killed in the ocean hanging from the crosses mm. taking days to die all that and but then 20 to 30 minutes would go by and i just could not keep uh interested in the storyline so yeah this was for me at least uh i a little different in terms of scorsese's recent work that i've seen and enjoyed is that i couldn't couldn't keep interested all the way through, which is unfortunate because I usually absolutely love almost every minute of this film. So mm. yeah. Yeah. that's my opening remarks. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. Okay. Okay. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to this film. I really enjoy Martin Scorsese's films. I respect him as a filmmaker. And uh, I thought the premise, at least like it struck me as being a passion project. And that was sort of like what, how it was marketed as. And I'm just like, okay, this isn't going to be something that's going to be, that's not going to play to the usual crowd that like comes to a Martin Scorsese film like Wolf of Wall Street or Gangs of New York or something like that. It's like this is going to be like a film that's really more for him, and he's just like putting it out there for whatever enjoyment we can get out of it. Um, I, I I don't know. I didn't. I, the the whole faith aspect didn't really resonate with me personally, just because that doesn't like really read on my spectrum. But like I'm able to appreciate it and be able to respect it. Um, I was more interested in the history aspect of it because I knew a little bit about... You knew some of those guys? I, I knew a little bit about um, uh, the status of Christianity in Japan during that era and, like, what they... Being frowned upon? Being frowned upon, yeah. It's yeah. like... What are you? What are I'm you, sorry. What are you? What are you trying to say? Nick? I'm not trying to say anything. I'm laughing. This is a very uh, me thing to do. I'm laughing at a tweet I wrote. <laughs> yeah, that tweet was actually really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, fucking Steven Seagal over here. I know. I'm laughing. Hey, I shared it. On, I, I shared it on my feed. Yeah, but no, but it was uh, it was a classic Martin Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> uh, voice voiceover with uh, as far back as I can remember. I always wanted to be a priest. Smash cut. Silence. Title card. It was just one problem. Japan. Japan. <laughs> Can you imagine Ray Liotta giving that? And he's not even a fucking film? Yeah. Anyway. Just yeah. Im just imagine him eating fucking noodles and ketchup at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even get good spaghetti here in Japan. Um. Christ, Karen! <laughs> Karen! Karen! 
Kurokos. <laughs> like, Where uh, the Bibles go? <laughs> Benny fucking Hana. <laughs> okay. It's Japanese. So, um, Andrew Garfield, I thought was really great in this film. I enjoyed Liam Neeson for the time that he was actually on the screen, even though like he's not really all that present. But I felt like his role there was so. Um, emotionally impactful that I really like attracted me to that. Adam Driver didn't really do anything for me, and like seeing these these Japanese peasants being murdered was really heart wrenching and, and sad. And yeah, I wish it didn't have to go that way, but yeah. But, but, but I, I wanted to talk about this film a little bit um, because it's good because we're doing an episode on. It. Yeah, stop being an ass. Anyway, I I had a uh, a little side conversation with uh, a couple of other friends of mine who were kind of. They, they were talking about the whole imagined faux controversy surrounding this film about being a white savior narrative, and none of them had actually like seen the film, so they asked me what I thought about it, and I'm just like, this is not a white savior. No, this is not First of a- all, not seeing the film was a really bad start. <laughs> they were just like talking about an article or something like that, and, mm-hmm. and it was like, this isn't a white savior film. This is it, – it's not about – people going there to save anyone it's really about them going there and having their own faith tested through this 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 entire like gauntlet of, yeah. of opposition like that's what the film is about and i mean also too it's not like white priests didn't go places to try to spread faith i like, know that yeah that, yeah so and but even, this particular story is not about and that. even that even if you were to run with the whole them like getting to impoverished and impoverished in religion, not mm-hmm. necessarily poverty itself, but uh, desolate places that want Christianity. Like before that, they're only going there to get their fellow priests back, so to speak. So, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that is one of their goals, but yeah. they're certainly not I don't think against they were... trying to. I think that's okay. their main goal going yeah. there yeah. because the, their their head priest I'm guy was just like they're there. Was they, like, oh, yeah. they, they switch whatever, but don't I don't think they were go risking there. to going to Japan if they didn't have a like that, that wasn't a no, normal but, but, missionary trip. No, it them. was not, but okay. I think it was definitely a dual purpose. But if they can convert some people, that can preach they didn't some even people, really it's fine. realize that this was a need until they got to the first village. And yeah. it, it seems like they weren't necessarily converting people either. They were just people uh, who were already people there. Who were right. already, so that's why I yeah. failed to see why that would be a motive for them going there. No, it was. I, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. but um, that's my two cents on it. I thought it was an okay film. It didn't really um, grab me the entire way. It's like it, at some point it gets really long in the tooth and. Did, did it seem like to you that Adam Driver was in this film just because he always wanted to be in a Martin Scorsese film and that he had the opportunity and he just took it and was just kind of there? I mean, I you you kind of just took the words right out of my mouth. Like that's that's exactly how I feel yeah. about um, him as, as an aspect uh, it, of this film. In, in addition to his character not being anything to get, it seems like. He didn't really give his usual kind of performance. I mean, either. he got to go there. He got to yell at the ocean, and then he was gone. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, don't think you guys giving the script <laughs> quite as much credit as it might deserve. I mean, he's not a non-entity. He's uh, I know he's I mean, not a non-entity, yeah. but he's he's such a minor character compared to the overwhelming presence that is Andrew Garfield. I guess, well, yeah, I, he's I guess the I'm protagonist. Ta- he's, I guess I'm talking more about his performance in the moments when he was there that I wasn't as impressed by him as I actually think he's a really wonderful actor and I didn't think he put on that great of a performance here. I I guess I liked his performance because I was liking the fact that he did not do his typical hipsterish uh like, Which really wouldn't fit in here. You can't be right. rich. There there are no hipsters in the seventeenth century, at least that I know of. There may be dandies. I drive there a bus dandies. in Patterson. Yeah. My name is Patterson. Yeah. Yeah, it was a horrible impression. No, it was good. Yeah. Thank you. Molecules moving through the air and hitting back at me. This is poetry. Why are you <sighs> hitting every four words? Yeah, I'm playing chess with myself and getting my ass kicked. Okay, That's not even Patterson. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, Different character. So I'm getting off the beaten path because we're supposed to be talking about uh, silence. Uh, I'm going to pass this off to Nick. I'm Nick, done. Nick, what do you think about this film? Um, well, I quite enjoyed this. I, I really like movies on uh, shaken faith and religious themes. Uh, this is like my kind of religious movie, so to speak. Um, in fact, it reminded me of two of my favorite movies that are 
uh, heavily in debt to spiritual crises like uh, Ingmar Bergman's Winter Light, uh, which is about a priest <laughs> who witnesses tragedies big and small and uh, basically disowns his own faith in the light of people in need, uh, which is very, very good. I recommend that to anybody who liked this or who maybe didn't like this as much as they thought and maybe want to see a different version of it because I think th that's ultimately a better movie. But um, And also it reminded me of... Uh, I never thought a Mark Scorsese movie would remind me of one of his films, but of Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves, which centers around a woman who's not of the clergymen, but a, a devout woman who ends up trying to contrast uh, her own personal motivations and daily activities with what her face says she should or should not do, and to which one should she be more loyal to, the people that need her, uh, and yet also manipulate her, or uh, the god that, or the clergymen and the god that said that these are the doctrine rules and whatnot. So I was getting a lot of vibes from... Uh, those two formal directors, and I quite enjoyed this. I thought that overall the performances were actually pretty great. Uh, I thought Liam Neeson in particular, I don't really care for him in general, unless he's uh, hijacking a plane. I was going to say, in one of the Taken movies? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, he can't really hold on to anything. Daughters, his faith, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's a rough ride for him. Well, I mean, uh, to his credit... Boy, that pit thing seemed a little uh, not great. Yeah, yeah, I would not want to do that. <laughs> and uh, that looked like spring break on wild. Now, where do we get those? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and um, so I, I enjoyed his performance. I enjoyed the central trio, really. And I especially enjoyed, probably my favorite performance in the movie is by uh, Yosuke Kubozuka, who played Kichijiro. Okay, yeah. Um, who plays the uh, the peasant who they take who takes them over to the land and then is a reoccurring character in in uh, Rodriguez's kind of journey to either As he continues to fuck him over disown or accept his faith based on the follies of the human spirit yeah. and um and he plays a major role in it not so much for how much screen time he gets but for how impactful he is in the light of major events and whatnot and I appreciated his turn as that um <clears throat> I can understand anybody not necessarily feeling the pace of this movie. Uh, that's certainly a a challenge, I would say. I wouldn't say necessarily a fault of the movie, but it's a purposeful... Uh, it, it, it makes... This is a movie that makes you feel it's running time, and, and I think it does that to... to I don't know, to benefit its themes and to further identify with something that, like, because, okay, for me, I'm an atheist, so any faith-based movie has to go beyond reaffirming faith. I'm not saying it can't end with a reaffirmation of somebody's faith, but the journey itself has to translate uh, into the easier to understand for somebody who's not religious, uh, just basic struggle of either good and evil or of... Uh, you know, passion versus compliance and, you know, those kind of basic tenets that we understand of human beings. Well, uh, to kind of go along with what you're saying, you have so many silly religious movies that are made in this era that are just people blindly following religion and saying you're ridiculous if you don't think where this obviously is taking yeah. a more realistic approach is, yeah. of, of course, you would question it because... yeah. You don't. You've never seen the man in the sky, so yeah. And what I love about that, though, and that this is kind of the rare movie, unlike uh, I think its predecessors in a lot of ways, whether it's like Bergman or who did a bunch of movies on faith alone, uh, or other uh, spiritual successors, um, is that I think this movie is actually pretty audacious to almost alienating its uh, agnostic or atheist crowd because ultimately. I wouldn't say that it's not ambiguous, but I think it um, it takes a very Martin Scorsese trope and it turns it into something that was I unforeseeably moving for myself, which is the changing of voiceovers. So here we have Andrew Garfield uh, inner monologues, which 
it was a perfect fit because I know it's based on a novel, so I'm guessing that was half the reason of why there needed to be voiceover, but also as a perfect fit in uh, a movie that deals with such religious themes, especially a movie called Silence, where you know it's uh, all about the uh, frustration of one-sided conversations, so to speak. And what I love is that this movie... Uh, <laughs> pretends like it's going in only that direction and then in pure Martin Scorsese uh fashion it lets somebody take over the voiceover and in this case it might very well be the voice of God and I think that's kind of a bold choice that might uh deter some viewers from not liking this movie because I almost basically accept it as a uh, blunt uh, affirmation of Andrew Garfield's faith. Obviously, you can be a cynic and you can say, oh, well, he's just been tortured, so he's just hearing voices now and that kind of thing. But I actually think it's much more potent than that and that this is something to take seriously. And as somebody who's not religious at all, I, I was moved by the fact that Martin Scorsese had earned that moment by the time we get to it to the point where because in general, when that does happen, it's interesting because then the movie's not the main character's problem is not solved. You know, he's not like, oh, now I see the light and now I'm dead or something like that. So I'm, you know, whatever my soul's lifted, or it's not as simple as he's heard that affirmation and now he's free or anything like that. If anything, it might even be a more uh, cynical. Uh, reading too because it says like you know you, you have the voice of god come to you at your hour of need but he can't do shit for you and, and you're still gonna live in captive and and ultimately that depiction of that kind of struggle which is it doesn't matter whether you get affirmation of your belief or not in this world you live with man and they will always be the ones that you are slaves well, to and, I, um, and that's what i ultimately loved about it in terms of my reading of that specific scene which i think the one you're mostly referencing is the scene where he is about to go into the pit and steps on the mm-hmm. yeah um my reading of of that scene is not necessarily uh you know it 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 is more ambiguous i think than you are necessarily giving it credit for because although obviously it could be ambiguous yeah, yeah obviously the the reading of that is um god jesus whoever telling him it's okay for him to to let go and to be able to live on and live his life um and yet we see throughout the the entire film uh, that people have been tortured for the most part, and and this idea of the mind doing things to help itself survive and that kind of thing. Maybe this is a creation of his own doing. I mean, this. Yeah. And I'm not not necessarily trying I can to see say that. that's the that's the that's what I believe it is. I just feel like that it does leave a little bit of gray area. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying the movie is necessarily offering a definitive answer, but I think it is so blunt that what I liked was that it seemed to transcend the ambiguity of are you a religious devout person or are you a heathen type thing? Because ultimately, normally that's what I look for in a movie like this where I, I'm like, oh, okay, good. There's a mental illness that explains religion or something you know, more cynical than that. And I was able to leave this movie with one of the few, I would say, actual depictions of a spiritual encounter mm. um, amidst a a crisis of faith that I genuinely buy into um, because it's still rich and nuanced and interesting and doesn't try to uh, forego any complexity past that interaction. How about um, in that same scene where he has this sort of moment where God tells him whatever, we see the same image of of Jesus that we've seen throughout the entire film. And then it goes dark as he steps on, on, and that's uh that's definitely quite a moment there of him almost feeling like his soul is dying or something like that. Yeah. Uh, an interesting, interesting moment for sure. Tucson, you would agree. Uh, yeah. I think that that scene in particular with him stepping on the image of the Christ is, I, 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 I really, in, I, I, I was really affected by the, the, the voiceover that's supposed to be the voice of God, like speaking to him being like, he's like, you know, I've never left you. I have always been with you. And it's just like, you can step on it. And as, as it goes on from that point where he's like sort of like ingratiated into their society and continues to step on it, and it's like I don't think that's it. It kind of signaled to me at least like the power of symbols and what we ascribe to them because before that point, before going through all that struggle and stuff, like the the 
the act of like stepping on the image of the Christ is just absolutely like it's it's, it's anathema to them that them are renouncing not only their it's not just their faith it's like a, a major part of themselves. But it's, didn't you just wash feet? I mean, doesn't he like feet? I don't <sighs> but I, I think that it, it's it's really more of just about like you don't need a symbol in order to like keep to your faith. Yeah. If anything's ambiguous in this movie for my own personal viewpoint, it's the character of Liam Neeson and in a complex way, uh, which is, did he have the same come to Jesus moment as Andrew Garfield or did he truly? Right. And I, I, I'm leaning towards, right now we also, you know, because we only come into his story after the fact, I don't know that anyone can definitively say one way or the other, but that's what I liked reading into and trying to decipher as to whether Andrew Garfield followed in his footsteps or um, truly Andrew Garfield... Literally, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Or if Andrew Garfield uh, was rewarded for his unwavering faith from God, you know, and I, I like the ambiguity there at least. Um, yeah, for me, I like to think, uh, or not like to think, but my personal reading was that Liam Neeson was following a very similar path to what we follow with Andrew Garfield, okay. that he was not this person who gave up his faith. He just kind of did what he had to do yeah. to continue. I mean, uh, we see the, the opening, uh, torture scene of this film is the, the priests hanging on the crosses and having the bowls of hot water, uh, dropped on them over and over again. Which, for the most part, looked awful. So yeah. Now, yeah. one thing that is discussed in this movie is that, am I right? Because I can't remember the exact line, so I could be wrong. So correct me. Am I right to basically not interpret? But weren't we disclosed to the facts that Liam Neeson's character was tortured himself? I don't think so. Really? Okay. Because I thought it was the whole thing like. They didn't rethink their plan until Andrew Garfield came along, and that's when they came up with the better idea to torture others no, rather than... I, I think, at least from what I gathered um, from the... I don't, I don't remember what his... Uh, the the term for the guy with the very um, pronounced voice... Uh, the inspector? Yeah, or or the, um, not something inspector. like that. Inquisitor. The Inquisitor, yes. there it is. That, Played by Issei Ogata. Yes, that his whole entire sort of plan changed because, as we see early on in the film, they were killing these priests who just showed up just to try to stop it. And he then okay, says, yeah. originally, that's what we were doing, but that only made their faith. Now we are taking these priests who <laughs> really are like... made us stronger. Well, no, I mean, yeah. I, I actually yeah, yeah, think no. that was my favorite part of the entire film not favorite part because it's good or anything like that but it, it is um certainly a, a, a it's interesting a maniacal genius move by this group who decides boy a better way to kill this this thing that we don't want to have is not just killing off the problem to uproot their faith right it is it poison is poison the soil show, yeah Poison the soil. Poison the soil. Ah, see, I didn't even have to do it. Look at that. You're suffering. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. Better than your usual awful <laughs> impressions. That's good. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So, but... Uh, it it is weird to have a Martin Scorsese uh, villain sound like Ken Jong from The Hangover. Yeah, I mean, th- that guy's voice, I think, is going to be one of those... Like, it's going to be the thing that is memor- memorable from this film. I want to know us! <laughs> Jesus, uh, and and I I feel like unfortunately that's 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 just the way our society is. Is that's the thing that we could get made into racist memes at some point, yeah. and the rest of the film is just forgotten. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I like that idea the poisoning the soul of the of the high priests and mm-hmm. changing their tune. Uh, even if they weren't actually changing it, not having them going throughout their country and spreading. The cancer, as they thought it was, yeah. of, of this terrible religion that they didn't want in their culture uh, is, is quite an interesting part of the story for me. So let's talk about the actual torture aspect of this film, because we go from beginning to end with different types of torture, whether it be physical, a lot of emotional torture here. Uh, we actually have Adam, Adam, damn it, Andrew Garfield... <laughs> 
being held in a prison and having to watch people tortured uh, and listen to them and watch their heads go rolling by. <laughs> and when you when you said he was held in a prison, I was. I don't know why I have random association mm-hmm. in my head, but uh, this when you said that, I was picturing uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, Marley and Marley, Whoa. in that torture camp. <laughs> anyway, but Nick, uh, I, I I felt <laughs> I felt like that was uh, definitely a part of the film that would a connect with most people in the audience because they'd be like, "Oh fuck!" Like, but at the same time. I felt like it wasn't something necessarily like Passion of the Christ where it was supposed to be so over the top that it was making everybody in the audience either want to look away or... Absolutely. It, it, it seemed a lot more impactful even though it wasn't, you know, 20 minutes of lashing and blood splattering everywhere and that kind of thing. I agree. I actually think Scorsese as a one of the most famous film scholars of all time, not directors, but people who are so knowledgeable about film. That's why he had the box set in the Criterion Collection named after him that aren't his movies, but movies he's curated into the collection. Um, I I think that um, he's purposefully dialing back his violence, because he's one of the most violent uh, direct. You know, I mean, uh, Taxi Driver was color graded differently when it was first released just so that way it wouldn't look as bloody as it as it was going to be. And obviously, um, you know, Goodfellas and whatnot. Uh, yeah, they of, put, put some guy's head in a vice. And yeah, I mean, these... Yeah. yeah. And so he's not uh, against that whatsoever. That's usually his MO. Um, but here, we have a much more elegant, but never sacrificing brutality, uh, way of depicting violence that really did remind me of a throwback to the Japanese films, not simply because it takes place in Japan, but of the way that uh, a lot of Japanese directors were fascinated by violence, and not even Kurosawa, but um, Obayashi or even um, Nagisa Oshima uh, in the 60s, um, where things like beheadings and other things would happen, but they would largely happen, I wouldn't say off-screen, but only partially on-screen, to the point where you can't track, you know, from point A to point B, the full... uh, activity that's being portrayed on screen but you get enough pieces where you're 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 stunned by what you're seeing but you're also not relishing in just blood so to speak um and that's certainly the case here and of course some of the other stuff like that's not even necessarily you know bloody uh like the thing you had mentioned earlier the pit or um some of the uh the 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 cross drowning um, yeah yeah like, i mean that the the cross drowning and the uh the uh, the narration talking about that when they burned his body it was pretty much just smoke because of all the water he had in take over yeah. the last three days like that's that's something that you hear and it sounds terrible and then you see the actual visual of it right after it is narrated but even was, the editing yeah. of like the cross drownings um, are are so I think wonderfully drawn to the point where we're not ever. On, like flinching or cutting away from what we're seeing, but it's done in a, if you can call it that, tasteful way where the passage of time kind of skips over the true, probably actual, like, we're not seeing people, like, actually resuscitate or, you know, like, choke on, on water and that kind of thing. Honestly, the most brutal thing for me in the movie is the single shot um, where it doesn't cut away from the one woman being burned alive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it, and it's it's clear it's CGI and all that kind of stuff, but the, the, the fact that it starts with a human being actress and somehow merges that with an actual action of that whatever, however they achieved it, uh, being burned alive and, and just reduced to a an actual black crisp in less than seconds. Like, photorealism almost is... is is pretty haunting. It's a like, it's a brutality that is so dispassionately routine that it doesn't have the 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 usual kick where it just like forces you to like look away because it's just so sudden. But it's just it it, it just crawls and it just like yeah, happens for so, sure. Yeah. I was gonna say while we're talking about visuals, um, uh, uh, the cinematographer 
for this film, Rodrigo Prieto, yeah. who is uh, Scorsese's new flavor of the week as he's now moved on from Robert Richardson for the most part. And now he has uh, this gentleman who's done his last few films or last couple films as he also did Wolf of Wall Street. Um, this guy's done some really fantastic work as he was do, did wonderful work with Argo and then also uh, Brokeback Mountain, I thought, yeah. as well. And here, I don't necessarily think this is like a amazing cinematographer something where the cinematography is trying to be the star but i think it's done so well that it can just be part of the film and not take anything away from it well yeah i think people what often gets lost in cultural conversations on film and cinematography and specifically is that a lot of people love to praise every frame of painting kind of cinematography, but then there's the whole other aspect of cinematography that's just as important and oftentimes I think even more challenging in which your camera angles and movements uh, have to stay consistent with the director's uh, overall vision that completely supports this actors, its sets and whatnot. And I absolutely think that that happens here because it's not so much that these images are burned into your mind after watching the movie, even though some certainly do come to mind. Uh, But while I was watching this movie, I couldn't stop thinking about how much I loved the way this camera angle captured this. For example, the beheading uh, is actually one of my favorite uh, sequences in the movie because of how it's shot in which the camera whips from left to right to almost like to watch the beheading. And then it rolls with the head in a way where you're not actually watching the head roll, but you're still following it until it rolls into the frame. And little moments like that that I, I, I think are pretty much expertly uh, captured. And, um, and you know, there are individual moments that I are burned into my head, like the uh, the fathers walking down the staircase and a, and a few others. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a few too many Dutch angles in the, in the first act of the movie that happened quite a bit. Hmm. But once I got past that, um, I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful looking movie. Yeah, and uh, speaking of cinematography, we move on to, to editing and Thelma... Yeah, something like that. She's been Martin Scorsese's editor for ever a yeah. long, long time oh, yeah. still going strong and uh we saw a lot of things here in terms of the editing of the film that are not necessarily martin scorsese isms like the fast moving from left to right which is a staple in martin scorsese films i only noticed a couple of them here they were very reserved as like almost they were put into the film just because people are going to be maybe looking for them or expecting to see them. So he's like, well, we're going to do that like twice. But then that's not like a staple here as we've seen in almost every other of his film multiple times throughout almost like a wipe in a Star Wars film. But yeah, I thought, you know, it's just great that she's been an editor and his editor for such a long time. And she still obviously does fantastic work. Agreed. And and she's... So good that, like, when Scorsese does start to jump around from genre to genre, she still compliments him wonderfully. Uh, You know, it reminds me of the relationship that uh, Tarantino had with the sadly departed uh, Sally Menke uh, before she had died before Django was finished. Mm -hmm. Um, But from his start of his career to up until that point, um, you know, he was obviously a person working in different genres and whatnot. And it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, I'm not saying that females are dominating the editing process, but, you know, I do think there's something interesting about uh, the fact that the Coen brothers chose, uh, till no, uh, Francis McDormand as the editor to feature in uh, their movie Hail Caesar as mm-hmm. a behind-the-scenes look in the Hollywood whatever, because I do think there is some kind of truth to the fact that there are, like, in almost every category, unfortunately, there's not like famous cinematograph female cinematographers, or uh, even sadly, there's not a lot of famous uh, female directors. But there's a lot of inspired female uh, editors yes. that, that are working under some of the greatest male filmmakers. Yeah, uh, so that's been a that's been a a field that seems to have pushed through the. Uh, sexist barrier long ago. Yeah, I guess there's comfort in throwing them in a room and and letting them edit your film. <laughs> yeah, which is too bad. Yeah, just don't wear a uh, sc- scarf. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah. 
So is there anything else that uh, we want to talk about in terms of a, a group on this film? No. No? Okay. Right on. Well, I guess I will go first since I started us off and give you my rating, which is uh, a very middle of the road, two and a half out of five. Uh, this is towards the bottom of my Scorsese film all-time rating. I actually don't have a Scorsese ranking page on Letterboxd, which is quite <gasps> surprising. Yeah. I should. I thought he was one of your favorites. I thought you were the super fan. I thought you guys were both fucking assholes. I so defended you, you as well, such. Well, you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do think, as I mentioned, this is definitely a film that needs repeat viewings to be fully embraced, I think, by anybody, even someone who absolutely loved it the first time through. I think the more you watch this at least two or three times, the more you're going to get out of it, like a film like The Big Lebowski or pretty much any other Coen Brothers film. But most films... Hey, there's a rosary here, man. Yeah. Uh, Any films of, of that ilk, I feel like, are a lot more appreciated on multiple viewings. And I, I think this... Now, the problem is, is that you have to sit down for two hours and 50 minutes and watch this film then, which uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, so, I don't yeah. know. Two and a half out of five for me uh, for Silence. Uh, definitely a film that I appreciated, but not uh, not one of my faves. Let's move on to Jusant. Yeah, I'm going to have to echo that sentiment. I appreciate this film. I think that it's very well shot. I think that... I like the performances, and I like the time period, and I like the story, but it just didn't really do anything for me personally. And I think that, honestly, this didn't need to be like two hours and 50 or so minutes would change. Like, it, I don't feel like it needed to be that long. It was two hours and 40. Let's not exaggerate. Okay. Sorry. Two hours. <laughs> sorry. Sorry to, add, to tack on a, an extra 10 minutes to the end of that running Just time. Saying. It felt like it. And this probably you guys could are have been. Citing the running time, this, and yeah. yet you're getting it wrong. This oh, probably could have been three hours and 20 minutes, too, because I know some of the fat was trimmed off of this yeah. as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that I'm going to give this uh, uh, straight down the middle of the road, two and a half out of five. I was gonna give it a two, but I think like it's grown a little bit more on me. It's like it it, cool. it, it deserves multiple viewings. Did you enjoy uh, the eight? Actually, I think really quickly, Andrew yeah. Garfield, when he's supposed to be ten years older, kind of in the denouement part of this film, okay. I actually thought that was pretty good, making him look a little bit older. And then we have him looking like Albert Einstein, burning in the box, and I was like, oh, there's this. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's only one. Small scene. Yeah. It's not like he's Grand Moff Tarkin on the screen for 30 minutes. That'd be weird to like make a CGI to put Grand corpse. Moff Tarkin in this movie? To make a CGI corpse. Anyway, um, Nick, what did you think of Silencio? Uh, I, uh, we didn't watch Silencio. We watched Silence. Uh, <laughs> Don't be a dick. <laughs> well, that's what I am. I enjoyed this movie. I uh, I related to the character of Andrew Garfield because I felt like his trials and tribulations uh, perfectly emulated how I feel when I'm talking to you guys on Film Tank and how I have Great. to kind of step on my savior just to appease. Who's your savior? The two uh, cinema. Oh, yeah. damn. <laughs> wow. Fuck. Just watching <laughs> that one. Mm. Uh, no, but I, I really, I did quite enjoy this. I, uh, it's not that I'm necessarily defending it as some kind of masterpiece or anything like that, but I think it's like anything that I would find wrong with it per se is something that I don't care enough about to change it, so to speak. Like I think this should have only been made the way it was and, and it should only exist as, as such. And, and I'm glad that it does. And, um, it certainly will join my own personal canon of some of my favorite religious themed films, uh, you know, which uh, a movie that I like that's quite similar to is uh, um, something that's more recent. Uh, uh, God's Not Dead 2014's Calvary. Oh, yes. Um, not which, God's Not Dead 2. No. Okay, good. Uh, and then the other movies that I cited. So this is like right at home for me as far as I'm, I'm usually a big fan of this. And while I can understand that um, a lot of viewers will feel the weight of its running time, Especially amidst a movie that relies so heavily on following this, the exploits of one single character and to the point where most characterization is doled out via 
uh, inner monologues. Like, you know, it's not that I can't understand why anybody would be down on this movie, but I, I don't know that it's a fault of this movie. It's just we're not normally asked to give as much to a movie as we are with silence, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. I, I'm really a fan, so I, I give it three and a half out of five. And I also want to really quickly reinforce that uh, this third act, like if you're watching it on video or something like that, like finish the movie, no matter how long you think it might be at whatever, two hour fifty minutes, two hour forty minutes, uh but no, but however if you're if you're finding it to be an arduous task or whatever, like for me at least, I'm not speaking for anybody else, but the third act is what made this movie as far as brought it all into uh focus and crystal clarity. Um to the point where I really came around on it in that third act. So I would recommend someone, everybody, to at least give it that much. And then, of course, you know, state whatever your opinion is. At least if you're going to watch the first hour and 40 minutes of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not that I necessarily want anybody to turn off any movie without, you know, before giving an opinion. But I think this is one of those movies in which the journey is one thing, but it's the destination that is way more... Uh, poignant and potent and and the purpose of this movie so uh yeah just a weird little caveat so cool very good yeah all right well for anyone out there who has any feelings on silence or Martin Scorsese in general uh, you can send them on to us he's cute thanks Nick you can email those to us (laughs) and your feelings on Martin Scorsese's physical appearance. Look at that bikini bad. Uh-huh. To us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. On our next episode, episode 99, as we are getting dangerously close to hitting triple digits, we're going to talk about another film uh, that was released late in 2016 uh, from Nick's pretty much favorite director at this point. He's my boy. Paul Verhoeven. He's my boy. Yeah. I love it. As he directed a uh, a film, a French film, at least yeah. in, in in France, and spoken entirely in French for the most part, yeah. uh, entitled Elle. Yeah. Well, it was going to be American, but yeah. no American actress would take the role. I wonder uh, why. I could kind of see that, I guess. A little bit. I don't know. You know, well, it's uh, you can find in American actress. I think he was just looking for the right actress, and when the probably people he had in mind that were American said no, then he kept going. I mean, you know, Sandra Bullock not interested. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that's great because we got Isabel Huppert, who's honestly one of the most underrated actresses uh, ever. I think. Yeah. No, and she won the Golden Globe for this film, not yeah, for did. foreign films, but just overall yeah. dramatic actresses. So, well, it's the Hollywood foreign. So it's all foreign. (laughs) So uh, we'll be talking about that next week on episode 99. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. You can find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com, or you can find our episodes also on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can find us every now and then on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. From Nick Cheney to Sot Egan and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for checking us out here on Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. Thank you.